Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. All right, we are back for another episode, and nobody told me that. And I have a longtime friend with me, Catherine Itell Belt. Hi, Catherine, how are you? I'm terrific. So excited to be with you, Teresa. Thank you. I'm glad that you emailed me. I, we were on a call just so everybody knows what is going on in speakers' life when we're not <laughs> on the road. We are both a member of Speaking Consulting Network, and we were on a Zoom call talking about podcasts. And you know, she sent me a message, and I said, "Get on my podcast." And here we are. So I'm glad you took me up on it. But that's how we connect, right? We have to be out there in the world and connecting with people and using our networks. You have this skill. I'll just tee you up for everybody. You have this skill of always having like the right thing to say at the right time, which is why you teach conversations. And so she is the owner of a company called Lionspeak. I'm used to you being the owner of another company, which you've morphed into this one. It was Lioness Training, right? Yeah, it was Lioness Learning. It's had several iterations, but this one was about, I think, eight or nine years ago, we rebranded. And, you know, I think something happens when you get in your 50s, which I was at the time where you start to look at the balance of the time you have left to work and live. And I decided like many people at that age that I wanted to make sure that that time was filled with the work I love the most and the kind of clients I'm the best with. And so we narrowed our, you know, I was practice management coach for several decades, but there was a slice of that work that I loved the most. And that was communications coaching. And I think it's probably what I if I have any gifts at all, it's in that area. And so I liked it. I like reading about it and learning and, you know, growing with it. We narrowed our focus to that. And I like to say we, we deliver that communication coaching is the umbrella, but we deliver it in three different lanes. So one lane is patient facing communication. So we coach on telephone skills and treatment presentation and, th- you know, conversations with patients. But the middle lane, which I think we're going to talk most about today we describe as team facing. So owner to team, manager to team, team to team, you know, a lot of team culture, that kind of thing. That's where our courageous conversations work is. And then our third lane is um, audience facing. So we do a little, not a lot, but a little bit of train the trainer and train the speaker in that, in that lane. I have to say my favorite is that middle lane, which we're going to spend some time in today. Definitely. I do want to talk about the third lane only towards the end, because I have so many friends who have taken your workshop and loved it, uh, speaker and consulting friends who have taken your workshop. Real quick, though, how did you, because you were full practice management when I met you, and you yeah. were also focusing on conversations, but how did you go into practice management at all? I mean, what made you think I'm going to be a consultant? It, it was a weird little securitist path like a lot of us. I started in college as a chairside dental assistant. And it was really just a job, you know, just a job to get mm-hmm. some extra money. I didn't really fall in love with dentistry right away because the dentist wasn't very good. He, he, he was all about the money. And I just was, and I sort of thought, well, that's how all dentists are. And I didn't know any different. And so I was kind of disenchanted from the beginning, but I took another job, a second job as a dental assistant with a man that changed all that, that was quite an inspiration in my life. Yeah. And so we, you know, I worked for him for many years, eventually moved up front and became an administrator, learned by the seat of my pants. There was no ADOM at the time. (laughs) I wish there had been, Uh, or a podcast like this, you know, so. No kidding. You're right. And CE kind of came around once in a blue moon. And if you didn't have patients scheduled, then maybe we'd go. And so, yeah, you're right. It was absolutely just, this feels right. And, you know, then 10 years later, you realized you were doing it completely wrong. I talk about quoting the fee right away to a shopper and, you know, just so many things. I didn't know any different, you know, and so training is so powerful. But that eventually, I moved with my husband's job from Texas to California 
when I got here, I actually took my only job outside of dentistry, which was as the marketing director at a winery in Southern California, Callaway Winery. So that was a good little couple of years of working in the corporate world, uh, managing a large team, and just learning that it's different than dentistry, but many of the same principles applied. And so uh, after I had my second son, I went to work for a practice management company as a trainer, fell in love with training, didn't really care for their program too much, but fell in love with educating and training. And so eventually I wrote my own program and that's where it launched. So the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of virtual training, obviously with COVID, you're doing a lot of yeah. virtual training, uh, but you were doing tons and tons of live training all of the time. I would always see, you know, that you're having a workshop here and there. Yeah. Can you see a difference in the needs of the clients that you have now versus before COVID? Do you see any difference in what they're asking for? Well, I think the things, the the same things are important, but if they were, if they were a challenge for people before COVID, they are a four alarm fire right now. In other (laughs) words, if if they had like a lack of clarity about direction or they weren't community, they didn't have a strong, positive, supportive, mature communication culture that was very clear about the future and the culture. If they didn't have that and they were struggling with that prior to COVID, it was exacerbated to a huge degree when COVID hit because stress levels went up our whole workforce sort of collapsed on itself. So now with all the concerns about finances and health and the future, I'm finding that clients are reticent to have courageous conversations with the people that they need to have those with because they're afraid that if it doesn't go well, uh, they can't be replaced because the labor market is so tight right now. So it's interesting, you know, it's a, it, it, it sort of, for us, it, it expanded the need. The need's more urgent because when people get under stress, we go from our executive thinking brain and the front part of our brain to the primitive fight or flight or freeze reactions. That's what's firing right now is that more primitive, you know, uh, emergency brain and helping people to have awareness around that and know, have some skills to be able to bump themselves back into their intellectual executive brain has been, has been super necessary right now. I think the comfort zone of everyone has just been wiped out for a little bit. We had to rebuild our comfort zones. One of the comments that I had with a a dentist is I'm now having to have conversations about fears I never practiced for. So he had never really thought about all of this, the COVID transmission and, and don't be worried if you see us looking like this. And I know you just lost your job, but there's, you know, we have to talk about this. And, and he was saying that it's just all new to him, even though it's not new. Now the urgency is new. And he was really just picking up on that. A great example. Yeah. It it feels like there's a, there's more fear-based conversations going on out there. Fear-based meaning we just don't know what the what the patient's going to do. I mean, we're hearing such weird stories about patients who are coming in and yelling at us for not, you know, not wearing this and not wearing that. And like you said, you got to really think on your feet. Can you talk a little bit about the executive brain and that fight or flight brain for those of listeners? We have a lot of new people to the industry. Maybe they don't know what that is. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all hardwired for survival, right? All, all mammals are. We're, we're born with that hardwired into our DNA to survive and, to, and hopefully to thrive. And with humans, uh, we have these huge brains that ha- we barely tap the capacity on. And so the primitive part of our brain is just about survival. So when adrenaline is released or cortisol is released, we react to what our primal brain says will help us survive. And that's either to outrun the enemy or the threat, to conquer the threat, fight it, you know, and and win, or to freeze and hopefully they won't see us. They'll just, they'll just breeze right by. And, um, and so that doesn't work very well for us when we've stepped into a more complicated interpersonal relationships with patients, with coworkers, even with family members or neighbors. So what we, what we want to do is not react 
from a place of fear, react from a place of panic, which a lot of people are operating most of their day in that space. And so we're making not only poor decisions, but we're also saying things and reacting in ways that if we were calmer, if we weren't viewing this as a threat, we would react more maturely, more reasonably, more productively. And so there is some mindfulness work around communicating well and leading well, no doubt about it. Are those the conversations that we replay on the ride home and yep. wonder how we could have done things differently? Absolutely. And you, you were saying uh, earlier, sorry for interrupting, you were saying earlier about, you know, us having to think on our feet and, and it feels like we're, we're having, you know, your, your doctor had the, said that he'd ha having conversations he hadn't had to had before. And I, I just want to say that I think there is a way to have conversations on your feet and feel guided and feel um, confident. What it requires, though, is that we have already strengthened that muscle in advance. So if you went in and tried to lift 50 pound barbells five times over your head and you'd never list, lifted a two pound weight, it's not gonna go very well. So, right. you know, we build up to that capacity. And right now we're trying to lift 50 pound communication barbells every day. And we haven't even strengthened the muscles. So I think, I think we have inherited a workforce pr prior to COVID. We've inherited a workforce of people that do not know, not, not only do they not know how to handle important conversations well, they never learned it, but also they have a frame around it that says this thing, this thing that looks like conflict, you know, that looks like an argument or looks like a disagreement or just a difference in perception and perspective, that it is bad. And it is to be avoided if at all possible, because it's not a fun place to be. It's not a, it's not an enjoyable place to be, and it's not a good place to be. And so layer on the fact that we don't have any skills around it. Generally, we have evidence in our past that those conversations don't go well because we've been yeah. flying by the seat of our pants. So I think Lion Speaks primary mission right now is to give a new frame to look through around that, to help people reframe that in a much more productive way, number one. Number two, to give them some very simple skills that they can use in the heat of the moment. Because if we gave you a 12-step process and you're angry or you're fearful or you're worried and frustrated or whatever the negative emotion is, if it's 12 steps, you got to remember, you you just won't do it, especially in <laughs> especially in conflict. So we've been really strategic and intentional about creating a very simple process you could remember in the moment that would help guide your conversation so you wouldn't feel like you're flying by the seat of your pants. You wouldn't feel like you, you know, and you would begin to strengthen that muscle, get a little more success so that when the conflict flashes in front of you or the fear flashes in front of you or these new conversations you haven't had to have, you won't have the release of the adrenaline so much. You won't have the release of the cortisol that sends you fleeing into that primitive part of your brain that doesn't know how to, doesn't act very well. So, you know, one of the things that strikes fear the most is role-playing. I would imagine that's a big part of your arsenal. It is because practice is no doubt the way people learn. When you hear something, you could understand, like I could give you the four-step process right now. Teresa, and you would understand it because you're a smart woman. You've had lots of professional interactions where you'd say, oh, I, I can see where that would be useful. You could totally agree with it and you could totally understand it and compre comprehend it. That is not the same as you being able to do it. Exactly. The only thing that creates the actual ability to have some level of mastery is practice. And that's the same for a dentist. You know, he could read a book all day long or listen to a lecture on how to prep a tooth, but until he picks up the drill and struggles with the practice, that's the, that's the only way the, the learning transfers. And I agree that role play, and I think trainers like us have to take some responsibility, myself included, that before I knew how to teach adults well, I threw people into role play when they didn't want to do it. They weren't prepared to do it. I gave them the whole inch. I taught the whole thing, and then I gave them the whole thing with no guidance on how to do it. So, of course... 
I've learned, I mean, I've, I've taken a great deal, a, bit, a long course of study in adult learning and how the adult brain actually makes sustainable change. And what we learned in that study is that you have to give it to people in pieces. So when we teach this, for example, this framework or any framework we teach, we teach the first step and we give them a little practice that is set in a way that it's fun, it's enjoyable, nobody's on the spot, nobody's up in front of anybody they don't wanna be in front of. We partner them up with somebody and they get a little chance to practice with some really, really tight guidelines around how that's gonna go. Then we layer on the second step. And now though they might practice one step one and two, and then one, two, and three, and then four. And we do that whole thing in small groups two or three people max. So they not, they're not put up in front of a whole room of people and asked to role play something they just listened to in its entirety. No wonder people hate it. I don't blame them for hating it. I would hate it. And so I think we have to take some responsibility that we just have, we've caused people to have these negative experiences and it can be better and it can be different, but, but you can't take the practice out of the learning. That's, that's where it is. And the other thing we've done is and I don't know, I always teasingly say there's something weird about dental professionals. When they practice, they love to be, you know, the hardest patient that ever landed on the planet. They want to be that patient. And so I have to be really strict about we're going to practice this. But if you're playing the part of the patient, your number one job, at least initially, is to be easy about it, is to be a compliant patient because your coworker is just trying to wrap their arms around the process. And then after they feel comfortable with the process, then we'll layer on real life, you know, and how it, how it might really go, but not initially. When I was a new manager, one of the most humbling experiences as a manager, when I was a baby manager was realizing that I couldn't do what was, I was being taught inherently. So I, you know, of course, as a manager, who's been able to handle everything that's come her way. I take a class. I don't even remember who it was. It was a man and great information on presentation and all that. And I go back to the office and I try it out and it does not work, not even a bit. But here I am thinking, I'm listening to it. I'm getting it. Okay, I can do this and I practice it. And then it comes out just a jumbled mess. So as a manager, I was very humbled by that. Just because you're good at lots of stuff doesn't mean that it's going to come naturally. Yeah. It was a moment where I thought, oh, geez, I really do have to practice this. This is terrible. And then I had to practice it. And of course you get better. And one of the best things about leading role play in your office is that you're the one leading role play. <laughs> you're not the one doing the role play. So that's always more fun. So I kind of tell these managers, well, if you can get to that point, then you're leading it. So that's, that's the way to go. But, but it is interesting as a new manager, the stuff you learn about yourself when you didn't even realize it was an issue. You're dealing with a lot of new managers, I imagine, because there's been so much, you know, moving of the chess pieces. A lot of people have lost good people, bringing on, you know, new people, assistants and receptionists are now being elevated to a job, a very hard job of being a manager. How, how is all of that going with the people in your workshops? Are you noticing, are you noticing this trend too? Definitely. And on top of there being a lot of new, well, I think one of the reasons is that we've had so much consolidation in the industry. So as small groups and medium-sized groups and DSOs and those kinds of things have now reached a sort of a tipping point, really, or even if it's a single location, but they're adding specialties and they're adding associates. So we're in this mode of, of growth in our industry. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's been this recognition that I have to create this middle layer of management that a solo practitioner who had four or five people working for them didn't need that middle layer of management. You have two dental assistants and two part-time hygienists and you know one and a half administrators. You you don't need they don't need a middle layer of management. But mm -hmm. since the industry is tipping toward larger, you know, more consolidated type growth in the practices, we are needing that. And so what's happening is someone who's unaware of the skills that it takes for good leadership and management will take a, a hygienist that's an excellent hygienist or an excellent assistant or an excellent administrator and move them into a management position, which you and I both know is a completely different set of skills than doing hygiene and talking to patients. Absolutely. 
some things will transfer. And, and I'm not saying that they can't be excellent, but they need their, uh, the trend I've noticed is when people get promoted, they're excited about the promotion. And then they're often quickly either falling on their face and being removed from the position, which is really sad to see, or they're opting out because they're just saying, I, this is not, this is not fun at all. I do not want to do this. And both of those, I think, are most often related to a lack of training on the skills that they need that are very unique to any time you're managing and leading a group of people toward, toward a, an, a, an end point. And so the good news is that they're kind of open slates, you know, they're, they're very open. And, and, and I find this you know, we know a, a, a lot about the millennial, millennial generation. Those poor people have gotten more heat than any, probably any generation. But I mean, we have amazing millennials working for us. And uh, I, I don't know what we'd do without them, really, truly. They bring so much to the plate. That's the biggest workforce in the history of our country. And so they come with sort of a built-in uh, attraction to and propensity for a coaching model of management rather than a supervision model. So that old school supervision model of I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to line all the expectations out. I'm going to observe if you do it and I'm going to bring you in and tell you how you've done it uh, and grade you on it. That old school supervision model has changed. And in this, you're promoting people into these positions. And on top of that, they are in this generation that prefer coaching then giving them the training and putting them in a growth culture where coaching is the expect regular coaching, mm-hmm. like monthly, quarterly, you know, it's ongoing, that whole culture and, and teaching them to establish it for the teams that report to them. How do they set up a culture within their group, whoever it is they're managing, that is mm-hmm that the expectation and the beauty of working there in this group is that we're on a growth trajectory and everyone's clear what it is. So I think that, you know, we've got to, we've got to give them the tools that they need for sure. Let me ask you about that though, because one of the workshops that you give, it's a live retreat. Can you do your calibration virtually? It's, it seems like it would be better in person. Well, I didn't think it would transfer. We did these calibration, they're called vision calibration retreats. So yeah, we, we start with coaching the owner because it's our belief that the only person on the team or people on the team that have the prerogative and the responsibility of clarifying where we're headed is the owner or owners. And so we coach them on clar- getting clarity on that. We coach them on presenting that to their team with inspiration and clarity. We set up the retreat. We help with the agenda prep. And we used to, uh, with retreat location, you know, finding a a cool place to have it. And then uh, we would set the context for the retreat, get the owners up, get them presenting their vision. And then we would come back in and facilitate questions, concerns, alignment, do some activities around um, culture and vision alignment, and then get to work on the strategic plan. I did not think that that kind of retreat would transfer virtually, but we literally had someone this summer beg us beg us to try it. <laughs> now, this was an entire group of millennials, Teresa, entire. They, tech was no problem for them. They were like, we got you covered. We'll make right. sure that our team can see you and your slides and anything you want to show videos or whatever. And we'll make sure you can see our entire team. And, you know, we've got a cool place lined up. And, and so they did, they did. And it w- went amazing. Um, amazing. It is amazing how they are so much better with technology. I was, uh, I had a strategy call with an admin, the admin team members, and we were talking all about insurance conversations and all of that. But one of them was at the gym and she's working out while she's listening and she's asking questions. She's participating, but she's working out. And I've just never had that before. And I, you know, I, I didn't say anything because I was like, you know, I, who am I? I'm not her manager. Her, Her manager doesn't like it, you know, whatever. But she was one of the brightest. She was asking good questions. And I just thought, you know, that means I can teach anyone at any time. If they're sitting, you know, waiting for their kid to play soccer or whatever, then I guess I can do it if they're up for it. But it is amazing how there's been such a change in the traditional learning. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. It is. And it's allowed 
I think offices that have that need this now, not later, not po whatever post COVID is going to be. It's not they they can't wait or don't want to wait, and so given us the ability to do that. And one of the things that's been helpful is we work with a point person on the ground. So we coach that person about the activities that I'm going to tee up, but we've already coached that person to have the supplies ready if, if, if supplies are needed for the exercise or the activity. And we've coached them on how to facilitate it on site then we go away, give them a chance to do it. And then we come back and I help debrief the exercise and pull out the learning or pull out the decisions or whatever, you know, the purpose of that was. So we found some ways to make it still so strong and interactive and, and a real breakthrough experience for the teams, which is always our, our, our goal is to have a breakthrough on whatever's holding them back. And so we found some ways to do that virtually that have surprised me and my team. And we're, I think we'll probably even post COVID offer it as an option uh, because it's certainly going to be a slightly more affordable option than us coming on site. So first of all, kudos to the doctors who are calling you to do that because just recognizing that you need a vision calibration, but the word calibration is, is really important to me because I've noticed with in the past when I was consulting, I had to calibrate the whole team, you as well. For the new managers out there that are trying to figure out what next to teach their employees, you know, what is the next step in taking it to the next level? The calibration piece is really hard because you, as a new manager, you're trying to figure out what's the level that everybody should be on. And then I'm going to wrap that up in another question, which was on your site, you had something that was really interesting to me, which was taking the conversations, raising the maturity of the conversations. So, and I don't know if these are two separate things, but I just, I really love the concept of a manager taking a look at the team and he or she determining, okay, I need to figure out what's best for everyone versus not just Julie, because she's the biggest pain in the butt. Or you know this associate who's harder to teach. Can you talk a little bit about calibration? It is the right word, isn't it? It's the it's the key word. Let me first back up and talk just a little bit about the word vision. I think that has been. I mean, I'm sure there's nobody listening that wouldn't agree that there's a lot of confusion about the definitions out in the marketplace between words like purpose and vision and mission and values and all these. All, all these words that we hear, and and I and I don't for a minute think that our definition is the definition, but the definition we work with is that we're not helping owners develop a marketing statement. Those are important. In other words, the the visions that you've seen in the past that get framed and put on the practice wall, or they get put into the brochure or on the website. Those statements of mission or purpose or whatever, those are important, but that's a marketing, that's a communication with your market. What I'm talking about is developing a clear picture for your team about where we're headed, where you're headed as an owner. So for, for example, I have a vision, a future vision of what LionSpeak will look like and how it will be operating three to five years from now. And it's important that my team knows what that bullseye looks like, what it looks like in terms of the financial piece, what it looks like in terms of the team culture piece, what it looks like in terms of, of, of the products and services that I most want to get to the market. And I only have that vision for what I know today. So for, here's a great example. So I always have a calibration retreat with my team in January or February every year. So last year, so 20, this, I'm sorry, this year, 2020, I had one in January with my team. Well, you can imagine come March, <laughs> I mean, I set that vision in place and then March hit and every, not everything, but a lot of what we were planning to create and do what shifted. And so I took some time. And now we will have a retreat in February of 21 and it's my job and really totally my, my prerogative to claim wherever I want to go now, knowing what I know now post COVID. So, or because of COVID. So it's not something that we set once and do. That's not the conversation I'm talking about. I'm talking about, so this matters to calibration because if you calibrate something, that means you're aligning it 
or lining it up with something. What we're speaking to when we say calibration is we're saying, is your team aligned with your, as you know it today, your future bullseye, your future business and your values, or in other words, the way you want the culture to be on the journey. And all of us want different things. So I think for a manager, we have to either get clear about our owner's vision and and then help calibrate the team or better help our owner articulate that to the team. I always say to managers, if you try to align team with a vision they don't understand or believe in, you will seem like the big bad manager. You'll seem like the meanie. But when you say there's a non-negotiable that neither you nor me get to change, get to choose, and that is where this business is going. And the reason we don't get to choose is we don't own it. You and I both work for someone who has decided to go there. And if you and I continue to work here, our job is to keep being clear about that, asking, poking holes in it, getting clear. And our job is to line up with it every day we put our keys in the car and drive to the job. And so my job is to help you do that, is to help you, number one, make sure you're clear. Number two, make sure you want to go there and that it does align with your personal vision. And if it does, what are the gaps in the training that you need? So now as a manager, this is nothing personal. This is my, I'm the conduit between where they want to go, the owners want to go, and where this team I'm in charge of is, you know, the behaviors and the actions and the skills that they're going to use or leverage to get there. And I'm really glad that you are delineated between the two vision, mission, calibration, all of that, because it is very true that we think mission is, is all of that until you get, you, you dig a little deeper and find out it's not. So I'm glad that you clarified that. You brought up a term that it's kind of a little sticky to get into values because there's someone's values, you know, you don't want to go around changing everyone's values, but there are times when someone's values really don't line up with yours you know, speak to the managers and the practice owners. What do you do when you have a team member, their values just don't line up? I mean, what do you do? How do you handle those situations? Well, I think the first thing you do is you, is you take judgment out of it, take judgment out of it. So there's been many, many, many occasions, because I've been doing this work a long time, many occasions and examples I could give you where the behaviors didn't line up and it would, you would think that the values didn't line up and maybe that, that in the end was the case, but not for the reasons you would have thought of. I'll give you one real quick example. A practice that we worked with was having trouble with someone on the team that wasn't coming to, had been on the team for a long time and had never had trouble in this area, but suddenly for the last few months had had trouble being to work on time every day and a couple days a week, and they mentioned it, it came up in a review, yeah, I'll work on it, but it didn't get better. And so they called called me, I was their coach, called me and said, I gotta have a conversation about this. Um, we don't wanna lose our patient's lover, we love her, but we can't have her keep strolling in two days, a week, you know, a couple days a week late to the, to the morning meeting. And mm-hmm. so I said, well, I reminded them, I said, just remember, you know, we walked up through our process again and practiced it a little, And I said, but just remember, always listen first, always set the context for the conversation. So let her know this is what we want to talk about and tell her you have a request and you have some thoughts around it that you want to talk about. But before you do, you'd like to know how she's feeling about how it's going and listen, because you may learn some things. As a matter of fact, there's no doubt that no matter what she says, you will learn basically how big the gap is between what you want, what she wants. Oh, interesting. And sure enough, that was the case. She said, I didn't really want to burden anyone. And I wasn't really prepared to talk about something's changed in my personal life. A few months ago, um, my husband and I have separated. Uh, I've now taken an apartment clear across town and I want to keep my kids in their school. And he used to take them, but he doesn't now. And so mm. I'm struggling to get back across town and make the meeting. But I just wasn't ready to share that. And I'm really not ready to share it with the team right now. And the manager, so I said, well, how did that? She goes, well, I was so glad you reminded me because, and and I said to her, no matter what they say, 
it doesn't mean you're going to bet you can be empathetic and still hold your line so i'm not saying we just because we learned that we back the line up what i'm saying is it gives us a point it, it reminds us to suspend our judgment and to say so honored that you felt uh, safe in telling me and i'll go no further till you tell me so and that helps me to understand so i'm grateful for that and we still are going to need to have you here on time every day can we talk can we talk about some ideas to maybe make that work they came up with an idea actually it was her idea it was the hygienist idea she said you know i'm in my car i have my phone on a on a holder on my dash we have a monitor in the room where we meet for the huddle would it be at all possible for me if i know i'm not going to be on time if i promised that i'd reviewed my charts the night before and i'm prepared could I log in through Zoom and attend the meeting virtually until I got there? Just until school year's over and I can get my kids in a new school and then it'll be a whole different thing. And it was. And so it's a good example of that was the values were the same, the behaviors weren't, and suspending that judgment. But let's just say, let's just say that you do have a difference in values. If we don't judge it and we say the thing we want most for our people is that they are coming to a job, either our job or some, or some other job, and they are living their best life. They are living their best life, that they are living a life that they love to go to work. And if that, because you've only got two choices, either you're going to get super clear about the values and the behaviors that come from those values, that support those values, and mm -hmm. they're going to either sign on happily, or there's a they want to, but they don't know how. And so we're going to help them with some training. So that's either going to happen or they're going to say, I don't agree with that. That does not mesh with my own personal values. For example, I don't think we should be going insurance free. I think that everyone deserves to have, we should be helping them. The dentistry is expensive and we ought to be helping them with that. And uh, I think we should spend a lot of time explaining their benefits to them because I think that they don't understand. And I don't want to work in a practice that this is how we answer this question, or this is how we, this is the stand we take, or I've had that come up yeah. where the practice is going in one direction, no right or wrong about it. It's just what they chose. And then the, the employees over here going, but I feel like people need to know this information, no right yeah. or wrong about that. Right. And, but it's a disalignment. And so if we say we respect that, we respect that our job is to make clear how it will be here and to invite you into that process and also to let you know that if it isn't a good fit for you and your values and your your personal place that we will respect that and it's not a two weeks and you're out it's a how do we talk about helping you get to a place where you love going to work and they love having you because there are practices that exist that of course would love a person that feels like that so I think it's taking the judgment out and helping people to know how to get that into their conversations so they can treat people with respect and still hold their line clearly. You know, the one thing that the employee never gets to choose are, are the values and the future vision of that practice, but they do get to choose whether it align, they align with it. And we should show that respect and encourage it. And not be scared if there is a separation that happens. And the reason I bring that up is your example is right on point. And, you know, with all this, the COVID and looking at the margins and everything, a lot of offices are considering going insurance free or not participating at all. But I hear doctors all the time will say, I don't know if I can do this because Sally up front has told me she's not a fan of this. And I think it's going to be really hard if she's not on board and then they end up not doing it. I mean, pre-COVID, this was a very frequent conversation, right? Then there's, well, we decided to implement a uh, in-house savings plan and uh -huh. they don't like it. So they never talk about it, you know? So same thing like with care credit. I mean, we always hear this yeah. too, right? Yeah. But if you have somebody who's understand, sees your vision, understands your vision, sees the bullseye, but doesn't want to go there, there's an argument to be made that that person isn't going to help you reach your goal. So can you talk to the doctor who's worried about losing this person? The one thing that managers have that no other position has is they're in the middle. 
they actually have to master two conversations, the conversation up and the conversation down. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but like who they report to and then who reports to them. They're in that, they're the meat in the sandwich, you know? And so a great example of this is when we were doing our Leaders of the Pride workshop pre-COVID in person, one of the, it was a two-day workshop and a lot of people that came to it were managers, but we also had some owners. And so we said to them, well, your pre-work is you got to fill out this, if you're an owner, you got to fill out this vision kit prior to coming to the course and at least bullet point your thoughts about it and come prepared to use it and work with it. If you're a manager coming with your owner, you don't need to do anything before the course. If you're a manager coming without your owner, we're sending you the vision kit. You have to sit down with your owner and either get them to fill it out or if they refuse, which we had people coming back saying, I slid this across to my owner and he slid it right back to me or she slid it right back to me and said, I'm not doing this. You're going to it. I want you to go do it. And so I said to them, so let's get creative about this. What if you took them to lunch and interviewed them? Do you think they would answer your questions? Well, probably. I said, well, then do it that way. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Come clear because you cannot manage well without clarity about what is acceptable, what is expected, and where are we going? And what are the behaviors that are most important to this owner along the way? At LionSpeak, we have a few trainers, right? We're a small company. We have a handful of trainers scattered all around the country and they work independently. So one of the values for me is that we have independent thinkers and problem solvers. They're critical thinkers. It wouldn't work There are a lot of people in the industry that want to become a trainer and want to do this kind of work ultimately, but they're not ready. They need some handholding, they need some training, and and that's awesome. And at LionSpeak right now, I do not have time nor the inclination to do that. So part of the value proposition if we interview someone is that if what they need to be happy in their job is a lot of handholding, this probably isn't going to be a good fit because what I'm looking for is are people who don't need a lot of handholding. You know, they need direction and they need to certainly understand what we're teaching and represent that well and all of that. There's a training process, but there's not a handholding process. They are able to set their own schedule. They're very competent in um, dealing with small problems that come up and that's what it has to be. And so that's a cultural value. You know, like I always say, if I had to if I had to ask one of my trainers to put their cell phone away at a meeting, it wouldn't be a good fit here at LionSpeak, right? So I don't, people say, I don't know how to get them off their phones. And I'm like, I don't have that problem. Not because I'm uh, harsher or more strict, but really just because I've set that expectation up from the moment they interviewed and all mm-hmm. through we, we revisit those values and they know that being hyper-focused when we're together doing the good work we're called to do uh, is a big value at LionSpeak. And it, it wouldn't be a match. if I wanted to talk about the workshops, definitely, because I, I want people to hear how you can help them. But I really love that idea that you had about the manager interviewing the owner, because in all of this, we sort of went through with the assumption that the owner knows what he or she wants as a vision. And many times they haven't had someone pull that information out of them or had somebody to bounce it off of them. So I really love that the manager can be part of that whole conversation. So that's fantastic. So tell me about the workshops, because I know you're doing a lot of virtual. I was on your site and you have a couple set up and, and I just love the idea of you having these workshops virtually. Can you go into that? Yeah, um, we are too. We're, we're having a ball. We're limiting them to small groups. So that's making it, uh, I think, a much richer experience because we're able to give people attention to the actual issues that they're personally struggling with in their practice. And it's funny, most of the attendees share, you know, many of the same uh, frustrations and struggles. And so it's been super great. Um, We have three different workshops right now, but I think the one most appropriate for our conversation is Courageous Conversations. It's a three-day workshop only in the morning. So I'm uh, West Coast, so uh, 9 to 12 Pacific time, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning. On the first morning, we focus on the mindset of a leader because it's my belief that even if I gave you the framework, but you used that framework on a 
uh, less confident, uh, fearful mindset, it wouldn't work. So we teach how do you rec how do you know what your mindset is? How do you shift it? So give you some tools to shift it. And then the second day, we actually look at the framework of the conversation and we walk through it. And the third day, we practice. Uh, so we put people into small breakout rooms with usually they're going to practice a couple of several times and they get to play different parts, but they get a real deep dive into how to use the skills. And we have trainers that pop in and out of those breakout rooms and are there to assist if they get stuck. And it's really been a, a really wonderful, rich experience. So I would say if there are any conversations with managers or owners or owner, owners to team or even team member to team member, if there's any conversations that you're avoiding because you worry they won't go well, then I think this would be, I mean, and who of us do, doesn't have that? Most of most human beings can think of a conversation today that they would love to have, but they're worried People say, oh, I think she's, she'll cry, or uh, I think she's going to be, you know, angry, or uh, she's going to become passive aggressive if I broach this issue or something, you know? And so, yeah, or she'll just be negative and she just want, you know, or whatever. And I, I, I promise you, there are ways to break through that easier than you think. Uh, you know, I, Teresa, I, I, I believe that we all did probably not learn this at home. We didn't, most of us didn't have a parental structure that gave us good, ex healthy examples of how to have challenging conversations about what we need and clarity around what, how we go forward. And most of us didn't learn it in school. We didn't take a class in it in school. So here we've right. adopted in this workforce, inherited this workforce that really to their defense, hasn't really had the training. So yeah, I heard recently a statistic, this will, this will shock you that the statistic was the average worker spends two and a half hours a week either thinking about a conflict situation or embroiled in one. And if you add that up, that's almost two and a half weeks a year of productivity that we're losing, where those same hours could have been spent creatively solving problems, creatively moving the business objectives forward. So I think this has a direct effect. I don't think I know that it has a direct effect when your people know these skills, they spend mm -hmm. less time worrying about it. They're able to solve their own problems in a constructive way. Managers get to do what they're supposed to do, which is grow the business or grow the department. And they stop having to be mom and solve everybody's right. little issues, you know, and, um, and the owners are free. That's so sad. Uh, two and a half weeks is, I mean, just mentally taxing, being worried for two and a half weeks. That's, I feel I so sorry for any soul that has to go through that because I mean, I, I remember that it, it you get heartache or heart, heartburn. Sometimes you have headaches. Yeah. I mean, all of that manifests physically. So I have to ask though, with all of your trainings, what is probably the most common skill that they ask you to train on? Is it phone conversations? Is it new patients? Is it patients paying their bill? Like what, what do you think is the most like, if you taught me this, I would be the best. Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you hear? You know, it's so different for different positions. We do a lot of phone skills training. We have a pretty robust uh, mystery shopper call program, which we're really proud. We do different than our competition. It's a very positive, very, we do it very differently than a lot. And so, cause we want to be the administrator's advocate for their career. And so these aren't done in a punitive way. They're done with a lot of support. And so we do a lot of that um, and we love it. And we do it all, almost all of it virtually. So that's super cool. But I think right now that what we're finding most in demand is this courageous conversations piece. We're doing a ton of culture work uh, helping people align with the vision and values and then and then teach these skills so that people can operate at a higher level and free themselves from uh, the levels of frustration and negativity and things that they've been dealing with. So it feels like good work out in the world. I feel like when we do this, you don't, they don't just, when they learn the skill, they don't just use it at work. They use it around their dinner table. They use it when they're on the board at a community organization or at their church or, you know, where, wherever we are, but Tom and I were walking our new little puppy on the dirt road. We're new to this neighborhood and a neighbor came by and we had a little, 
we we kind of said it was it's a dirt road and we, we were kind of like slow down you know the dust was about to choke us so she stopped said well i was going 15 miles an hour i mean if i went any slower i'd come to a stop and i thought perfect example i teach this stuff <laughs> I teach this stuff. And so I'm not immune to it either. It's like I, there, you know, if you want to get better, you will have daily opportunities to practice because it's just life. It's life. How better would the experience of a young adult be if they learned conflict resolution in high school or a college setting? I mean, I'm just thinking of my son. If he just took a class from someone else on conflict resolution, that'd be great. I can't teach him anything, obviously, no, because, no. you know, I'm a mom. But but yeah. how that is so valuable in life. And so, you know, younger doctors and managers listening to this, it feels like a fuzzy topic. It feels like a fuzzy skill. But I can't tell you how much it pays. It You get your ROI back. I can't even tell you because oh the amount of times that I have heard, if you just go on anybody's review and you see something went wrong because somebody said the wrong thing or they didn't handle a complaint the best way. Just how many employees could you have not lost had you had this skill? So I think, you know, even if you're a veteran, you know, a dinosaur like myself, you can learn a lot, but a younger manager, for sure, a younger owner, this is the stuff that you should have learned in dental school, but they're not going to teach you that because you got to learn how to drill, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I've heard so many times like you that if I could just do dentistry, I'd be a lot happier. But if I never had to deal with all these personnel issues and all these little petty, you know, complaints and arguments and, you know, and sure. so I say, well, we don't, maybe we shouldn't have to, but we do. We have to, and in the best way to not have to deal with it at this level in the future is to teach your people how to do it well themselves. And we can't teach something we haven't learned already. So first place to to do is to learn it yourself and demonstrate it from a leadership position, demonstrate it, and then uh, teach it as a cultural piece in your practice. Imagine if you didn't have to spend as many hours, you know, having these conversations and worrying about this and and you had higher levels of productivity out of your people uh, and everybody was just operating at a higher level and was more mature in their communication and in their their professional uh, work. We have to teach them. If they didn't learn it in school, I'm married to a recently retired uh, middle school teacher. And he said, the first time he heard this lecture, he said, God, I wish my middle schoolers had to take a class, that class, because I think we'd launch a different workforce into the world in a few years. And I think he's right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree with that. But we didn't. So now we have to do it. And you give yourself a gift. You give yourself a gift when you bring this into your culture because things get better quickly instead of stagnating like they do when we just go around in circles because we don't have any skills around how to manage the conversations. It's easier than you think. It's easier than you think. I wonder if down the road, and I know you have your vision, but you know, there's so much more acceptance now of kids learning online. I mean, everybody's Zooming and everything. And I know so many parents in the area that are, you know, they have pods. They're not, their kids are out of school. They've homeschooled them. I mean, maybe there's a market for a young, younger version of that class because I mean, I'm thinking of when Noah was eight, nine, 10, that would have been the perfect time to have him learn this stuff. And I know it'll be taught differently, but you know, maybe one of you, maybe you or one of your trainers can see an opportunity in that. I can't imagine that that wouldn't be a hit. Courageous conversations for kids. Courageous yeah. conversations for kids. <laughs> Courageous kiddo conversations or something. They'll be like, I'm not a kid. I'm, you know, I'm an adult, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So no, I love it. I love that idea. I love it because it all starts there. And, you know, I, I always tell the story that I had friends who would tell you, you know, people I grew up with that would tell you that they grew up with their parents showing them to manage conflict like a war zone. You know, it was almost in some cases violent but certainly screaming and yelling, and that's how conflict was solved. And so that's the lesson that they learned. That's the format that they learned. I grew up on the complete opposite end of that, and you would think it would be so much better. I never heard my parents argue, never. And went to college, came back at my first break from college, and they announced they were getting a divorce. Oh, wow. And somebody was arguing with somebody somewhere, but they just hid it from us. So I was a young wow. woman who thought the first time I had an argument with a serious boyfriend, uh, we were done. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Either way is not healthy. 
there, there's yeah. that middle place where how do we show them that life is full of different opinions and different perspectives and different needs and boundaries and all of that. It's full of that. Oh, I've heard that relationships really aren't growing without conflict. Because if, if you don't have conflict, then we're actually not pushing the boundaries of what we need and where we're going and where we, how we see things. And so if you are a growing relationship, whether that's personal or professional, if it's growing and, and maturing, you are going to have some places that you don't always agree. Sure. It's important that kids, go, that they have this skill. And if, if they didn't learn it at home or, or school, maybe they will learn it in our workplace. Maybe they'll learn it if they work at LionSpeak or they work at your dental practice and you'll be the better for it, but so will they. And actually so will our industry and so will the world. Yeah. I love this. I hope, so. I hope the managers and owners and actually any of the staff that's listening are hopefully wanting to learn this skill and learning the, the conflict resolution. So I'm going to link to your workshops uh, in the show notes. So I'll make sure that everybody has a way of getting in touch with you. And you've got a couple different workshops. So you've got the courageous conversations, you have the retreat have phone skills, phone skills. Oh my gosh, I yeah. could we could do a whole show on phone skills. We'll have to have you back on just do phone skills. Yeah, we can talk about that another time, but we do have a workshop on it. And then we've got a train the trainer program. If, if there's any, um, it's mostly uh, been in the past um, attended by consultants and, and outside trainers, but we've had, we've seen recently in the last two that we've done, we've had a pretty good number of internal trainers. So again, as these group practices form and as DSOs start, you know, form, they're realizing that they have protocols that they want to be consistent throughout their locations and they have to have an internal training force. And so again, those people get moved in there because they're good at their jobs, not because they know how to teach. So that train trainer workshop teaches you how to teach and how to make it fun, how to get people into role play without hating it and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, so that's available too, as well. You can't motivate a team if they're like falling asleep during your presentation. It's just not going to work. Yeah. I have have a lot of friends who have taken your workshop over the years. I remember you had, you used to have it at the San Diego zoo. Did you say at the the wild animal park? Yeah. Yeah. How fun is that? It was. That sounds actually pretty exciting, but yeah, everybody that has taken it, I've, I've noticed they've changed. They're actually more confident in wanting to do more. So yeah, I just, I think you guys should check out her website. Check out any time that she's speaking near you. You have to. I think I've heard you. I don't. I don't even. I've lost count. More than you know, <laughs> ten times at least. But you've spoken a lot at Adom, and I know I've heard you many times there. So managers that are listening should probably be. I'm sure they're familiar with you because you've been a good oh, friend. Oh, I hope for so. It's such a great community that we swim in. You know, it's, so, it's such full of such great people and. I love that we can contribute to it and make them help them to be more successful. They're smart people with big hearts. Uh, I know you know that, Teresa. And so uh, I love contributing to that. And this feels like a really strong new calling, this Courageous Conversations, because so it's so meaningful to people in their entire life, not just their professional life. So it feels like a great contribution. I'm anxious to get the book out. That The goal is to have that out this year, this next year. Oh, exciting. So when you have that out, you'll come back. And, oh and yeah, we'll do for another, sure. We'll do another and we're talk talking on that. about maybe doing a certification program with it, so someone could get certified, so that within their company they could then teach it really well and come to a little bit of a how to teach it in your group. You know. Oh, that's fantastic. so. We're playing with all kinds of ideas. I love it. How do they find you? I mean, I will have all the the information in the sure. show notes, but in case someone's driving and is curious, how did they find you? Yeah, lionspeak.net. If you go to lionspeak.com, it's actually Lions Peak Winery. So if you want wine, go to .com. <laughs> but if you want communications <laughs> coaching, come to .net, uh, lionspeak.net. And you'll see virtual workshops is the first tab on there. But it also, you know, it basically has a tab in all three of those sectors that we work in. And um, I write a blog. I've been writing a weekly blog for, um, we think now it's about 17 years or something like that. Wow. Yeah, every week called the Monday Morning Stretch. It's free, so you can sign up for the blog on the on the website and lots of other great resources. So yeah, come, come play with us. Uh, we think we're up to some pretty interesting good things and we'd love to, we'd love to support you any way we can. So check us out there. Awesome. So dear listeners, you have got a game plan now. You're going to go back and think about 
all of the ways that these conversations can help you. And I know for my listeners, the managers out there, I mean, they're my heart, as you know, but I know that sometimes conversations come very easily with patients, but not necessarily with the team members as they're a lot harder. And there's a lot more at stake too. So it feels just a little bit tougher. So that's right. Definitely check out, I'm, I'm on your newsletter. So I highly recommend sign up for the newsletter, check out her workshops. And when you have the book out, I want you to come back and we'll have a talk about that. I'd love to. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. Absolutely. And dear listeners, as always, I really appreciate that you take the time to spend time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.